Amen. Well, for the last time in 2021, here, Sunday morning, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This is a post-Christmas story that often doesn't get told because it's not part of the main Christmas story, but it happens about 40 days after Christmas. And so in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we're going to learn about faith from two seasoned veterans, uh, senior saints, Simeon and Anna. And in Luke 2, verse 22, that's where our story is going to unfold. This is when Jesus was dedicated at the temple. So it's a baby dedication. They did it about uh, 40 days after Mary. Well, they dedicated and then Mary came up and she fulfilled her, uh, her purification as well. So that kind of is the bookends of Jesus' dedication at the temple. So as he's being presented, it kind of makes us think, I don't know if you were christened or if you were um, as a baby presented or dedicated, but that's kind of what's going on in this stage, you know, seven days to 40 days after Jesus was born. And listen, the king of kings is being dedicated at the temple of God and nobody showed up. Now, if a royal baby is christened or dedicated now, the paparazzi is everywhere. Here's a picture of some uh, royal dedications, babies being dedicated. I, I think it was a few different ones being dedicated, but the, the pageantry, the, the parade, the, the, the dress code, uh, you know, the archbishop is there. And, and when royal babies get dedicated around the world, like the world takes notice, and here comes the king of kings to be dedicated and nobody's there. What a terrible dishonor to such a great child. But Simeon and Anna were there to bring honor and glory to Christ. So it shows up in verse 22. It says, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So let's set the stage a little bit. Uh, Mary and Joseph are law-abiding, uh, law-abiding worshipers of God. We're supposed to see here their integrity, that they are God-fearing and they're obeying everything in their day according to the law of Moses. They also obeyed uh, naming Jesus, Jesus. It says in verse 21, he was called Jesus, the name given him by an angel before he was born. So they were compliant with God in everything, and we are supposed to um, commend that about them. Now, their offering teaches us something about them, because in Leviticus 12, when they come back to the temple, Mary was required 40 days after giving birth to offer a sin offering and a burnt offering. Sin offering, all right, remember, footnote, Mary was 100% human and only human, just like you and me, okay? There was nothing divine about Mary uh, but her child. So she had to present a sin offering, she had to present um, a burnt offering, and you could bring a lamb or a turtle dove, lamb and a turtle dove, or if you're poor, you would bring two turtle doves. So they brought two turtle doves, which indicates that they were poor. They didn't have much. So Jesus was born, king of kings, into this poor family. And um, we learned so much about that. God wasn't looking for the richest uh, pad on earth to land his son to be pampered. He sent him down into a poor family's home. 
Frankly, if you met Mary and Joseph, teenagers, maybe Joseph's in his 20s, and uh, walked around their house and then saw them dedicating your Savior, I, I don't know today that DCFS would allow a child to be taken home into that environment. Um, we are just so accustomed to standards of living and cleanse, cleanliness and plumbing and like so many things, right? And uh, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And he saw in Mary and Joseph a faith in him and a love for his law. And he said, that's where my son is going, not to the palace, not to the palace. We learned so much about God. We learned so much about Christ. We learned so much about faith just by the lead-in. So, Jesus is being dedicated. Nobody cares. Simeon shows up, though. So number one, jot this down, Simeon's faith. Simeon's faith. This guy named Simeon is old. We don't know how old, but we know that he's been waiting for a long time. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. The name Simeon means God has heard. And often in the Bible, a person's name ties into the story. So God has heard is actually a really good uh, key idea here that God has heard and he has sent his son. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So jot this down. Simeon, we learn, was devout. He was devout. Not derailed. Not derailed. But I couldn't think of just one antonym for devout, so I listed a few, and you can take your pick. Being devout means that you are cautious toward God, you fear God, and you're careful to please God because you are dedicated to Him. So if that's what devout means, you're cautious toward Him, you fear Him, you're careful to please Him, and you're obviously devoted to Him, that's devout. So the opposite of devout can actually take on many forms. It could be derailed, something just got him off track spiritually, but it could also take on the form of like duplicitous, like when I'm around righteous people, I behave, and when I'm not, then it's party time. So maybe you're duplicitous or divided. You're like, well, I am and I'm not. I kind of see it, but I don't. You're, you know, kind of divided, or maybe you're defeated. Maybe life has sidelined you, and God doesn't mean much to you anymore, and well, whatever it is, the opposite of devout can take on many forms in our lives. But Simeon was devout. He was cautious toward God. He feared God, he was careful to please Him, and he was devoted to Him. He was also righteous. He was righteous. Now, when it comes to what righteous means for Simeon to be called righteous, it definitely means that his conduct was in line with the law. So he wasn't a pretender. He actually followed the rules of Moses. But even in the Old Testament and the New Righteousness is something given to us by God. So he was a man of faith, and God reckoned to him a righteous standing in God's estimation because he, was, he believed. He was a believer. So he was righteous, and he was devout. In other words, he, he was all in. It was unmistakable, and he was an old guy who was still devoted to God. Now, when it comes to devotion, when it comes to being a devout, loyal follower— Outside of religion, we see a lot of that in sports, am I right? So check it out. Here's a collage of sports fans that are not leaving any question as to whether or not they are devoted to their team. I mean, they've got the face paint, they've got the weird funny hats, they've got the, uh, you know, the attire and the history. These are devoted, loyal fans. And 
I'm not saying Simeon was a fan. You know, I'm not saying that God wants us to be like fanatic for him. But here's what I'm saying. It's, it's so obvious where their allegiance is that they're all in and how they're conforming to the recognizable uh, standards of their team. Am I right? Uh, they would never, ever, ever broadcast in any way that they are for the other team, right, at all. Now, there's a lot of that in what it means to be devout. It means you are showing without any question that you are a follower of God, that you're a worshiper of God. The people closest to you know it. They don't have to ask you. It's, it's as if you're wearing a jersey that says, I'm, I'm, I'm with God, right? So how are you doing it being devout? And how are you doing it not being derailed, duplicitous, divided, or defeated? I mean, are you really in and do all those around you know it? Or are you kind of in and out or not even in at all? Simeon was devout, and that's why God appointed him to this special role. He was devout. Jot this down. He was also waiting. He was waiting, not wavering. He was waiting, not wavering. It goes on to say, Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, waiting. He knew his Old Testament. He knew there were prophecies about a Messiah, a king, a ruler who would come to set people free. He knew it. There was actually, if you study history in Jesus' day, Messiah fever. There were some fake messiahs who rose up and said, I'm the one, and people kind of followed him, and then it didn't work out, and then they were embarrassed. But they really wanted the Messiah to come, primarily politically. Right? Can you imagine if like North Korea actually kind of came and took over and our taxes kind of went to our government and their government? Can you imagine that? And then can you imagine if like George Washington had made a prediction that there would come someone to break us free of oppression? We'd be like, bring it! Who is it? right? Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Rock, who's going to rise up and set us free? Like, we would want political deliverance. Get us out of this. And Rome was dominant over the nation of Israel. They didn't have freedom. So there was this call for, like, the deliverer to come to set the nation free. But um, Simeon, through eyes of faith, saw what the apostles didn't even see, what most people, the rulers, didn't see that Jesus would not be primarily a political Messiah. Spiritually, he would set us free first. So Simeon was waiting, not wavering, and they had waited a long time. It's been hundreds of years since God revealed anything to his people. Uh, after, after Malachi, he had said nothing for hundreds of years. Waiting, waiting. God's quiet, waiting. And right now you're waiting for something and you feel like God's quiet. In the book of Psalms, it says, Why do you hide your face in times of evil, O Lord? You feel like God is hiding his face from you while you wait. You feel that way. But the psalm also makes it clear that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So you feel that way, but it's actually not true. God is actually very present, more present while you're waiting. But he's doing a hard work. We're tempted to believe when God is doing, when God is making us wait, we're tempted to believe he's doing nothing, but he's actually doing something hard and often necessary. So, so don't give in to that temptation. Whatever you're waiting for right now, don't feel like, well, God's doing nothing. No, he's doing something hard, harder than you want, and necessary, and therefore we have to be able to wait. Simeon was waiting. He was waiting. Are you willing to wait? Maybe you're waiting for an answer to prayer or to a question. 
Maybe you're waiting for direction toward a career or a college or a calling. Direction. Maybe you're waiting for the right person to come along because you want to have fellowship and friendship. Maybe you're waiting for justice or joy or peace or power. We don't wait in vain. We never wait in vain. If we, if we be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord, He will appear. Simeon was waiting. There are so many superpowers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, am I right? Lightning, you know. There, there, there are people who have super strength. They can run fast. There's never been a superhero who shows up and he's like, I am wait man. What? Yeah, I have a supernatural ability to wait for things. What? Watch this. What are you doing? I'm waiting at a heroic capacity. <laughs> what? But listen, somebody who can wait for God, that's a heroic virtue. Heroic. To wait for God. So much of the nonsense we get ourselves into is because we're not willing to wait. Wow. He can wait. We don't know how long he's been waiting for. But it goes on to say in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he's seen the Lord's Christ. The Spirit in a dream or a vision or a word of prophecy told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. You'll see him with your own eyes. Was he told that at 20? 30? Was he waiting? Was he told it last year? We don't know. But it seems like it's been a long time. It seems like perhaps decades he was told. He was told a while ago. And he's just waiting because God showed him he's not going to die until he sees the Christ. So I'm at, you know, you were at family parties this past week, right? And there's a lot of chit-chat, chit-chat. And then there's some oddballs there with some odd things they say, that relative who you see once in a while, and they say things, and maybe it's not believable, right? Maybe I'm sure that you have those experiences. But imagine if one person is like, yeah, I'm going to see the Messiah. God showed me. And I'm not going to die until it happens. I'm unkillable. What? Unkillable! Went bungee jumping last week, climbed Mount Everest without oxygen. Next week I'm going to go parachuting. I'm unkillable! until I see the Messiah. It's kind of a funny thought. I'm playing with this here. Okay, this isn't what Simeon actually said. I'm playing with the idea that he was told he won't die until he sees the Messiah. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty weird unless you believe it, but once you realize it was true that the Spirit can reveal the future to somebody, wow. He was told this maybe before Mary was even born. He was waiting not wavering. How are you doing at waiting? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means for the promised ruler and deliverer to arrive, the true one. Consolation means to bring comfort and salvation to the nation. And God proved faithful. In fact, in Joshua 21, 45, it says, God was faithful to Israel. Not one of his good promises failed. Throughout the Old Testament, they went through so much stuff, but time and again, they would say, God did it. He promised it and he did it. Not one of his good promises failed. God's faithfulness is highlighted here, and that's how we wait. We wait because we believe God is faithful. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. So, so wait on the Lord. 
Simeon's faith. He was devout, not derailed. He was waiting, not wavering. How, how are you doing at waiting, not wavering? And then jot this down. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, so a little bit on the Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So um, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force, right? It's not magic. It's not a wind. It's not a vibe. The, the Spirit is a person. And the Spirit speaks at times in Scripture. But the Spirit always directs the attention to Jesus Christ, right? The Spirit has all the attributes of God, was active in creation, in salvation, um, and is everywhere. So the Spirit is divine. And so, and we also learn here that we as humans can be full of God's Spirit. It says God wants us to become His temple where His Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells within us. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. He would come on someone like Samson for a mighty purpose and then he would leave. And that's because people had not been fully purified from their sin yet, so we were not fit for his dwelling. The Spirit stayed on David pretty much most of his life, but David would pray, take not your spirit from me, because he knew if he got in big enough trouble, the Spirit was out of there. It's only when Jesus came and died on the cross and offered the perfect blood of the Lamb of God that we could be fully and finally washed entirely of all of our sin, the Jews had to go year and year and once a year up to the temple to have their sins washed again. We could be washed once and for all. That's why the Spirit can come upon us in the New Testament and stay. Every Christian who's born again is a temple of the living God. And the same Spirit we're reading about here dwells in you. Folks, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that it's not just God with us, it's God in us. And Simeon models that a person of faith is full of the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do? Leads us to Jesus, illuminates the Scripture so that we can understand it, regenerates our hearts so that we can be born again, connects us with the church so that we become part of the body of Christ, fills us with strength, empowers us to serve, and all the fruit of the Spirit transforms us, uh, right? That's sanctification. We are made into God's image by God's Spirit over time. And here we see that the Spirit can also give prophecy. So Simeon saw a vision or heard that there would be a future known to God. And the Spirit also, if you read here, it says he was told by the Spirit in advance that he'd see Christ. Then in verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So he was directed by the Spirit. This was all being orchestrated to meet the new child when Mary and Joseph brought him in. It was a divine appointment. The Spirit can direct our steps and even orchestrate the circumstances around us to, to have an encounter or to be in a place that we need to be. The Spirit can do that. He doesn't have to take control of us. It's not like, oh, mm, meh, meh, meh. Like, God is actually strong, smart, and able to orchestrate things without needing to gain control of our will. Some people feel like we lose our free will when God orchestrates stuff like this, but that's because they don't understand how big and smart and strong God really is. He can do it without turning you into a robot. He can get you where you need to be while you're making your choices. He doesn't have to 
uh, make you less human to govern your life. It's pretty amazing. So we have confidence here that if we are full of the Spirit, that God will direct our steps and transform our heart and give us eyes to see the glory of Christ. We can see that. And he came into the temple. Um, I think I forgot to show a picture of the temple. Let's put that picture of the temple up here. Here's where the scene takes place. This is one artist's rendition of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And uh, the temple is on that big structure. That's the Temple Mount. The temple is up there where the smoke is coming from. So they would have been in the city coming up into the temple structure, going wherever the part of it was where she would offer her offerings and her, you know, and, and, and probably up there in the, in the main part. And then if there was some dedication place, they'd, they'd go there too. But this is where it was. It was a great place. And this is where Simeon met them, like on the steps. So Simeon was full of the Spirit. And then he says this hymn or this poem here. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow. He said some awesome stuff here, but jot this down. He was brave, not fearful. He was devout, not derailed, waiting, not wavering, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was brave, not fearful. So Joseph returns from like parking the car, you know, and he walks up and he's like, where's the baby? And he sees this stranger dancing around with him. Oh, oh, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's so, he's so joyful. He hasn't even seen one miracle. He hasn't even heard one, pro, one beatitude Jesus spoke. He knew this was the Christ child and his heart was full of joy. That's what Jesus does. His heart was overjoyed. The word salvation means to be saved. Simeon knew that salvation had come from heaven. And God, the burning bush, told Moses, I have come down to rescue them. Simeon knew that's salvation. That's salvation. God had come down to rescue us. And he was overjoyed. Therefore, he was brave. He said some shocking things. He said, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, meaning I can finally die. He's been waiting for it for a long time. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, it's bold to say that, that humanity needs a Savior. Right? We can't save ourselves. We can't do it. It's bold to say that. Just try saying that to your coworkers. We're doomed. But God sent a Savior. And then he said, You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light. That's our theme this year, a new and glorious morning. A light for revelation. That's God making himself known to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel? Well, he knows his Bible. In Isaiah 49, 6, it says this, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Salvation means the Savior has arrived, and God's plan to save the world was in Christ. But listen, the fact that he said Gentiles, oh my goodness, you have no idea how much they hated these Gentiles. The non-Jewish people, that the Messiah was coming for them too? That's the Romans! <gasps> the apostles didn't even know this. 
They, they didn't know, first of all, that people in Israel would be toppled because of the Messiah. They thought if you're Jewish, you get saved. They didn't know that the Gentiles get to get in too. The apostles had to figure that out well after Jesus died. Wait, they get saved too? Simeon, before Jesus even said one thing, is like, the Gentiles are going to get saved too? It's shocking. When the apostle Paul was standing up about to be killed, right, or, or at least tried for his life, they listened to him until he said, God appointed me to go to the Gentiles. And then when he said the word Gentiles, they said, he's not fit to live. Kill him. There was no love for the Gentiles. And Simeon said it. He said it from the beginning. Oh, God's going to save the world. It's unbelievable. So Simeon's faith was he was devout, not derailed. He was waiting, not wavering. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was brave, not fearful. Now let's learn from Anna. Jot this down, number two, Anna's faith. Anna's faith. So the story goes on to say this. And there was a prophetess, Anna. That means that she could also speak for God through the Holy Spirit. The daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when he was, seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna has a sad story. And her story is that she lost her husband after seven years. She just had seven years with him. And you can imagine the life that she had dreamed of, the wedding day, year after year settling in, and then tragedy, grief, anguish. Perhaps she was married around 15 back then, widowed by 22. Um, and when things like that happened to you back then, people would have assumed that you did something wrong, like God was not happy with you. Like if you never married there would always be this, you know, well, we don't know what she did, but eh, something must be spiritually wrong with that person because God's clear. And if you didn't have kids, eh, well, we don't know what God's doing. But there would be the assumption, even though they wouldn't say it, there would be the assumption that you are not as blessed as other women. Because of that, she could have turned away from God. She could have turned away from others. She could have isolated herself and descended into a dark place of loneliness and grief and anguish, and that, it, that could have been it. 22 could have been it. Well, why would I go on? The Bible says that she was widowed at 22, or no, around that. The Bible doesn't say when she was widowed, but it says that she was a widow until she was 84, uh, but the translation can also allow for it to say she was widowed for 84 years. Either could be correct. So she was either 84 when this happened, or she could have, and this is more likely, that she had been a widow for 84 years, which would have put her over 100 years old. Very old. Now put yourself in her shoes. The life she thought she would live, the life she had planned was gone, and she decided to, to devote herself night and day to worshiping God in the temple. She became a full-time, they had situations back then where widows could have been put on a list and they could have, you know, helped blessed other people, but she gave herself in this monastic style life, you know what, I'm going all in on God. Yeah, the rest of my life is going to be for God. It's all for you, Lord. I'm showing up, I'm praying for others, I'm fasting, I'm giving, and that's my life now. Wow. They do those like 
career tests in high school. Did you ever do those? I took a career test in high school and you fill out the thing and they tell you what you're going to be. For some reason, the first test told me I should be a forest ranger. <laughs> well, I'll be. Uh, I, I doubt anyone got, um, just go to a monastery and be a nun or, you know, give, just live in the church, you know, uh, for, your, for your whole life, 84 years perhaps. Like, not a big ambition for most people. Her pain and her tragedy obviously opened up that pathway. Her um, father's name, Fenuel, means face-to-face with God. That's also the name of the place where Jacob wrestled with God. Luke doesn't mention any of that, but it's just always a good ingredient in the story to know the names that are mentioned. Why would her dad's name be mentioned? Well, it's interesting. Her dad's name means face-to-face with God, and it was named after the place where Jacob wrestled with God. And it does seem to add an element of what she must have gone through uh, and how she received a blessing from God. And there are many religions where the whole faith is set up for you to go away to high mountains and to get alone and to live in a cave. And it's just you alone doing great things to try and access the spiritual realm or level up spiritually. Our whole faith's built on an 84-year journey of you, you, being out there, and there are these monks in the Buddhist faith and in the Hindu faith who, who have these legendary pain tolerances, and they've walked crazy amounts, and they're, they're living with almost nothing, and their, their, their isolation, their piety, their privatism is like, wow, that must be a, a revered spiritual person. Anna was one of those, and when God looked down and saw, frankly, something that none of us will do, right, uh, 84 years, you know, maybe of, of just me and God every day, right? What, what devotion? What does God have for her? What, what does he have for her at the end of, of such a long stretch of piety and devotion? What will God hand to her? Jesus. Jesus. That's what God gives to us at the end of all of our devotion to him. We have to be careful here. Jot this down. She suffered well. She suffered well. We have to be careful here. Sometimes people will come up to me and tell me what they're going through at the end of church, even right by that door. And I can tell that it's, it's unimaginable pain. And then they'll say, God's, God must have something for us. I mean, something big. And I'm very respectful of what they're going through, but here's what I say when I hear that. I say, Jesus is the biggest thing God has for you. Okay? He's the biggest. There's nothing bigger. He doesn't have anything more than Jesus for you, but he might have a lot more of Jesus. Now look, there could be other things. Maybe he will open a door. Maybe he will, maybe. Listen though, listen. And if you're suffering, listen, listen. Jesus is the big one. That's what he gives you. You don't need anything else. It's all in there. It's all in there, right? The carnival, you go to the carnival and they rob you and they give you a teeny little prize. And you keep trying because, you know, we're foolish. And then they give you a medium prize. And then after $1,000 is gone, they hand you this stuff bare. And you're the idiot walking around. Look what I won! And we're all like, eh. I don't want to tell you how much I paid for that, okay? Look, when God reaches for the biggest, the biggest, the, big, the biggest thing he could give you is Jesus. Don't expect more. There is no more. And, and holding that child is all she needed. She was so overjoyed. She had suffered so well. Only if you truly love God and you believe deeply within you that he loves you, will you follow him after tragedy and will you realize that Christ is enough. Christ is enough for your heart. 
It'll be hard. Whatever it is, it doesn't just mean you lost a loved one like she did. Maybe something in your life crashed and burned, and there was an area in your life that went bad beyond belief. Some wounds are lifelong. Some pain will not end until the next world. And hey, Anna's your hero. Anna's your hero. She's your hero. She shows you it's possible to stick with God, and when God hands you Jesus, it fills your heart with joy. It's all you need. She shows you that. What a hero. And the biggest pain in our life will either drive us away from God or closer to God. And Anna is a champion. She went straight to God's presence and said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. And it doesn't mean that you have to just pick a seat and sit there for the rest of your life. That would frankly be odd. And I don't know if we'd be able to feed you, right? You know, I'm not saying do what she did, meaning like I'm going to live in the church. What I'm saying is I'm with God and I'm not leaving him. That you can do. That you can do. I'm with him and I'm not leaving him. And Christ in my arms is all I need to be joyful at maybe over 100 years old. That's all I need. That's all I need. Just give me him. Just give me him. Wow. She suffered well. Jot this down. She worshiped, prayed, and fasted. She worshiped, prayed, and fasted. She said, verse 37, worshiping, fasting, and prayer. So worshiping means you're singing for joy, even in the storm, even in the darkness, even after loss. She sang. She worshiped. She sang. She prayed. So she asked God for things. Tim Keller makes it clear prayer is both a request but also a, a wrestling. So, so you're wrestling with God, but you're also resting in God's presence. It's both. She abided, rested, and she wrestled for God to reveal himself more. And then fasting, fasting is where we go without food uh, for a time a meal or a day or a couple days. And it's your way to truly tell God how much you love him and how much you need him. Um, fasting is not like I'm doing something to earn God's favor. It's not like, look at me. You're going without physical food to invite God to sustain you. So instead of eating, you'll open your Bible and pray or sing or whatever. That's fasting. And having a regular pattern of fasting is important. Maybe once a month, maybe twice a year, but I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. That's really important. She fasted, she prayed. This is all drawing near to God. She was a prophetess. God's spirit, therefore, spoke through her. That would mean that she had the gift of exhorting, encouraging other people. She would give a timely word. She's the one you'd go to when you're like, hey, I got something big that just happened. And what she would say, it would feel like God just spoke to you. The, the spirit was flowing through her. <clears throat> she worshiped, prayed, and fasted, and she ministered. Jot this down. She was grateful, not grumpy. She was grateful, not grumpy. It says she began to give thanks, verse 38. She began to give thanks. She was grateful. It takes, um, I mean, after her life, it, it takes a special movement of God to keep her grateful. This was really God's spirit, right? And Jesus brings lifelong joy to the believing heart no matter what we go through. Physically, at this point, her body was wasting away. But look at this spiritually. She glowed. She glowed. I've been so ministered to by, in particular, senior saints who are women in our church. Uh, we've had several of them go on to glory. One woman in particular, though, we'll never forget. I talked to her small group leader, and he said, I went up and visited her at the hospital, and I said, how's she doing? And he said, she's doing better than me. She had been told that she was going to die soon. And he said, she's doing better than me. I said, what do you mean? He said, 
She went out and bought a dress. I said, what do you mean? Before she got admitted to the hospital, they told her, you know, she needed some stuff done and probably didn't have much of a chance. And she went out shopping and she bought a dress for her own funeral. She bought a dress. And I said, she bought a dress? He said, yeah. She told me, I have a date with Jesus. He's like, she's doing fine. And I'm like, Jesus is right there sustaining her. She's really excited to go see him. That's faith. That's lifelong faith. That's so many people in this life would have gotten that news and it would have crushed them. She goes out and buys a dress. That's faith. That's love. She's grateful, not grumpy. She's aging gracefully and dying well, and every one of us will have to choose to do that, to age gracefully and to die well. Anna's a hero. Wow. She worshiped. She suffered well. She was grateful, not grumpy. Jot this down. She told everyone about Jesus. She told everyone about Jesus. It says, giving thanks to God and speaking of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Everyone. She was telling everyone. Everyone about Jesus. She began telling all of them. She was naming the name of Christ. She was saying, this is the one. This child is the Messiah. Wow. It's really amazing. So as we reflect on Simeon and Anna's faith, these are two senior saints who God spiritually directed to be there for the dedication of Christ. He wanted them there. He invited them. These are the kind of people God wants around. He shows us in them that lifelong joy can be yours in Christ. Let's face it, the older we get, the less we're impressed by. Am I right? I mean, you maybe are an older person. Maybe you're in those twilight years. It, you know, you're probably not watching the Oscars. Like, oh, he's, like, you're just not impressed with the world. But, you know, politics, it's like, yeah, I've heard all this before. I mean, like, it takes a lot to really impress you. And the older we get, it takes more and more to satisfy us and to startle us. And, to, you know, it's like we got some wisdom. And, and here are these two old-timers who have their eyes on heaven. And Jesus the baby shows up and they've seen no miracles. They've heard no teaching. And they can't even contain themselves because of the joy. They're just, they can't believe it. They want to tell everyone about it. That should say so much to you. If, if these were like people in their early 20s, okay, well, what are they going to get excited about next? You know, I mean, sure, they're excited about Jesus, but now they're excited about whatever else. I mean, they're always excited. These folks and their joy minister to us. And it shows us that Jesus is our joy lifelong. He's really the only one, the longer you live, who can keep your heart full of joy and grace. It's really remarkable. The, the song to close out, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus by Charles Wesley, published in 1745, really reflects what we read about here. For so long Israel had waited for their Messiah. And here's what it says. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. This is what they were excited about. This is what we are excited about. 
And I hope this song is true of your soul. I hope you can say Jesus is born a child and yet a king to reign in us forever, to bring his kingdom by his own spirit. And I hope by faith you can say rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us in the end to thy glorious throne. Hey, let's close in prayer based on these wonderful things Simeon and Anna taught us and showed us about faith in the Messiah. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we close out this year, one last time as a church family, we're, we're blown away by Simeon and Anna. And though in the world they were of little account, they were not famous, they were not rich, they were not powerful, you invited them to your dedication. The things they said about you were unbelievable. The faith they had in you gives us great courage. So I pray, Lord, for those who have walked with you for so long. I pray for the Christians in the room. May they remember and remind themselves that you are our strength and our consolation. You're the hope of all the earth. You are the joy of every longing heart. Help us to find that joy. Help us, whatever happened this year, like Anna, to suffer well. Help us to close out this year with humble, grateful hearts. To say thank you, no matter what you did this year, it was all in your providence. Fill us with your spirit and help us to close out this year thanking you and trusting you. Lord, I pray for those who may be here. They're not devout. They're divided or double-minded and maybe they've drifted from you or maybe suffering has sidelined them. Whatever it is, right now they know that they are being called by these wonderful examples to truly give their whole life to you. Maybe for the first time to ask Jesus to be their Savior or for the first time in a long time to hurry back to God. Whatever it is, I pray that they would pray to you right now in their own heart. They would say this by faith. Jesus, I believe you were born a king to reign in me forever. So now, by your spirit, rule in my whole heart and eventually raise me to your throne to live with you forever. Save me, bring me back, and be my king. Be my joy. Father, I pray that this Christ child who was born in Bethlehem <clears throat> would be our light and our salvation, our only hope in times of trouble. And Jesus, walk us through this dark and weary world and be our dawn every day. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.